Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs. August 1st, 2023 marks the 75th anniversary of OSI's inception, and throughout the year, the command is commemorating the occasion based on the theme, Inspired by Our Past, OSI's Future Starts Today. And with me to discuss how the 6th Field Investigations Region fits into that scenario is Region 6 Commander, Colonel Benjamin Hatch. Colonel, welcome to the program. Always great to have you chat. Hey, thanks, Wayne. I'm excited to be here and help tell Region 6's story. And let's get right to, at the beginning, uh, shall we, sir? Uh, the region itself was created back in June of 1992. Uh, how did that activation uh, originate? Yeah, sure. So the, the activation really came about as part of a larger OSI effort uh, that was uh, tied into really our first uh, major reorganization across the entire OSI command since mm -hmm. 1948. Mm -hmm. And um, when we activated it, uh, the geographic footprint increased. Uh, so really, from the way we organized before, we grew to include Korea, Japan, the Philippines, and Guam. But ultimately, our end result remained uh, similar to way the way the, the construct was uh, being more of a geographically aligned. Um, you know, it was, it was probably less visible than other uh, other of our uh, regions like mm -hmm. AMC or a ACC. Sure, uh, and. Uh, really, it was intended um, to be responsive to a, an overall reduction in the footprint uh, across the Air Force. So, so about a 22% uh, reduction. Uh, and, in, and in doing that, uh, we streamlined really the way the region and more broadly OSI, uh, you know, uh, provided really that same timely, effective and quality support to our mm -hmm. Uh, to our customers, but in a reduced resource environment. I see. Okay, very, very good. Now, uh, Colonel, Region 6 is the regional headquarters for all OSI units to identify, exploit, and neutralize criminal, terrorist, and intelligence threats to Pacific Air Forces, the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, Special Operations Command Pacific, three numbered Air Forces, and nine subordinate wings. With unique, what unique challenges does that kind of diverse responsibility present for Region Six? That's that's pretty a uh, pretty big responsibility uh, to go under under the one region. Yeah, so I think uh, our largest challenge is information flow. Mm -hmm. With all those different customers we support, with all those uh, individuals with equities over a matter, be it uh, aligned to one of our numbered air forces. Uh, you know, based in Alaska, in Japan, or in Korea, uh, all that flows back into Pacific uh, Air Forces and the Indo Indo PACOM Command. Right. Um, and how we do that to ensure that everyone's aware, that everyone uh, you know, has knowledge of you know the important cases that the, that the team in the field runs. Uh, all the way down to threat identification and, and efforts taken to mitigate that. Uh, that really is uh, a pretty significant challenge that we work to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yes, no doubt about that. Uh, and when we talk about uh, challenges, uh, getting to some more numbers here, Colonel, uh, Region 6 headquarters at Hickam Air Force Base, Hawaii, for those who may not be familiar uh, where uh, the headquarters uh, is located, 
It serves over 45,000 Air Force personnel assigned to the Asia-Pacific region, spanning 100 million square miles, encompassing 36 countries, including half the world's population, where more than 3,000 languages are spoken. Now, what's been Region 6's key to successfully operating with such an eclectic footprint as that? Yeah, so what you just described, Wayne, really captures about 52% of the Earth's globe. Wow. So it's uh, pretty significant geography that uh, that we cover, cover down and are responsible for. Uh, and really the only way uh, and the best way we can do this is through the use of mission command. So that is uh, a uh, really a practice where we empower our field leaders, where we empower our agents at the lowest level by providing them guidance and direction and then letting them use these mission type orders uh, and guidance to get after the things that OSI needs to get after the, uh, the criminal, the fraud, the counterintelligence matters that are important to the defense uh, of our nation. Wow. Uh, that must make, uh, give you some uh, personal satisfaction, Colonel, knowing that uh, uh, the, the high quality of performance that your folks in Region 6 uh, give to something like that uh, must make you uh, very proud to be the, uh, the, uh, the, the commander of that region. Yeah, we have some amazing people uh, uh-huh. and, and the work that they do each and every day at times, uh, just it, it's so impressive uh, and I'm so proud of them. Um, much of it that we can't talk about, of course, sure. okay. but that that we can uh, we just we just know that the work that they do helps find the truth, uh, helps get after and identify threats uh, and, and really keep our folks and our and our nation safe. Right. Now, Colonel, uh, what are some of the mission milestones that uh, Region 6 can reflect on that have defined its uh, very storied legacy? Yeah, so let me uh, go back in time a little bit because, uh, you know, really, as, as we talk about uh, the region's history, uh, uh-huh. I think it's important to kind of highlight one particular uh, one particular initiative, and that was the Area Source Program. Mm-hmm. So this was the, uh, the product of innovation that OSI uh, had in the 1960s uh, in Vietnam and Thailand, primarily uh, because the, the units there uh, only had about 27 OSI agents to do uh, like so much work. Right. Uh, we had 22 agents in Vietnam and five in Thailand at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and this program uh, was used to develop a network of informants and sources that would provide intelligence information regarding the, uh, the operations of enemy uh, cells or units in the area. Uh, that were outside or nearby air bases. And the intent there was to help deter attacks. It -hmm. was to use those informants and those sources to gather information that could then allow a response or the preparation that an attack was coming so that way uh, they could minimize the damage. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and really that program uh, is, uh, is, is used as a reference point for many of the successes that OSI has had uh, all the way up through Iraq and Afghanistan uh, as it morphed really into counter threat operations. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that must be a, a, an incredible uh, responsibility to give uh, 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 all the, the special agents that uh, were involved uh, back then. And, and uh, like today, a lot of them are young as well. So uh, they were thrown right into to the fray to begin with, it sounds like. Well, they had to be innovative, uh, uh, realizing that they only had uh, so much capacity uh, in, in the needs uh, based off of their authority and their capabilities uh, were in high demand. So using, uh, using this outreach uh, really resulted in some incredible mission successes. No doubt. Now, uh, speaking of individuals, uh, uh, as you look back on the uh, legacy of Region 6, Colonel, uh, who have been some of the significant contributors to Region 6's success uh, throughout the years? Well, we have a, a storied uh, past full of exceptional people. But let me just talk a little bit, Wayne, about a couple of them. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, the Pacific is uh, is honored to have the the first believed female OSI agent uh, in the command. That was oh. Major Catherine M. Moran uh, out in the Far East Air Forces. Uh, so she performed investigative duties. Uh, and this is going back to really the late 40s, early 50s, 1949. Right. Uh, she served the, out in Japan and Tokyo uh, as the uh, operations division's chief uh, for District District Six. Right. Uh, so just real incredible to have uh, that kind of uh, of opportunity uh, such early on out here in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, a number of you know talking about innovation, just incredible people. Um, and let me talk just for a moment about um, William Boyd. Sure. Uh, William Boyd uh, worked during the Cold War uh, on a, an initiative that was known by a number of code names, including Catboy, Stigmatic, mm -hmm. but later became more commonly known as the Alaska Project. Uh-huh. And this was a plan in 1950 that envisioned the employment of a community to work and serve uh, as stay-behind agents as part of an underground intelligence network. So this is in Alaska. Right. Uh, it, in it included the construction of escape and evasion routes for downed airmen. So these would be our bomber aircraft, uh, our other aircraft that were going to potentially uh, be deployed against the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, William Boyd comes into play because of his efforts and work during World War II. So he first served uh, as, as a member of the OSS. Um, you know, but then after the war, he became a civilian. Uh, and at the time that we sought out his expertise, he was a detective with the Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida Police Department. Oh, I see. And uh, they recruited him back in, uh, really to work primarily on the escape and evasion phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, they brought him back into the Air Force as a captain, and he reported for OSI Academy in 1951, and then left for Alaska two months later. Wow. So really, his experience kind of drove a need. Uh, he served with 2nd Lieutenant Roy C. Tucker and a Special Agent Harvey uh, S., who formed the team responsible for Project Alaska. Uh, and work to set up caches for downed airmen and then support networks and intelligence networks 
that ensured that our airmen who were performing missions and uh, uh, preparing for uh, for potential conflict with the Soviet Union, that if they if they were down, that uh, that we didn't leave them behind, that we had a network and system in place uh, to retrieve them and bring them back to friendly forces. Right. Is it safe to say, Colonel, that uh, those gentlemen you just mentioned uh, were pretty much trailblazers, uh, uh, you know, for OSI and especially uh, in the uh, Alaska region? I, I believe so. I mean, so they, their work that they did early on really set conditions for future successes. Uh, their successes uh, ensured that we were able to continue operations uh, and, and, and set in motion um you know, a legacy of excellence across the command. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple others, Wayne. Go ahead, sir. Sure. No, no, we're, no we're, okay. we're good on time and everything. Sure, go ahead. Uh, there's one individual in particular that uh, that stands out, uh, and that is Richard Sakakita. Uh, this is a member that was inducted into the OSI Hall of Fame in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, born in Maui, Hawaii, uh, and of Japanese heritage. He was recruited into the army in 1941 uh, and later became an undercover agent. Yeah. In that capacity, uh, he attempted uh, to identify Japanese agents and military members in the Philippines. Uh-huh. He became a prisoner of war where he was tortured, uh, but he later escaped. Ultimately, he became a commissioned officer in the Air Force and an OSI agent uh, in 1948, where he served 28 years as an OSI uh, agent, uh, retiring as a lieutenant colonel Mm -hmm. uh, with the final assignment uh, in Japan, who is responsible for all OSI operations uh, throughout that country. And I think what's, uh, what's unique about his story is in Japan, he was credited with using his wartime experience to promote a better understanding between the United States and Japan, uh-huh. uh, not through retribution or malice, but through compassion and friendship. I see. And uh, the work that he did, I think uh, we, we continue to reap the benefits of that uh, through our incredible Japanese partners. Right, right. And you said you had another one, sir? Yeah, if we've got time, there's yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Go ahead. There is. Okay. I want to talk briefly a little bit about some of the work done in in uh, in Korea. Sure. Uh, so at the at the onset of the uh, of the Norse invasion into the South in Korea, uh, this is this is back in June of 1950. Mm-hmm. There was a special agent, Joe Carraway, uh, who on June 26. So this is the day after. The initial invasion, right? Uh, boarded a C forty six transport air- aircraft uh, that was piloted by the son of General Jimmy Doolittle. Wow! Uh, and hey, departed yeah. Japan for Pusan. So that's in the southern part of uh, of now uh, South Korea, Republic right. of Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Agent Caraway's mission was support from uh, really two two agents from another agency, U.S. agency. Uh, was to establish a communications network to pass operational information and other intelligence from Korea to the Far East Air Force's headquarters in Japan. Mm. And much of Agent Caraway's work was done in partnership with the local police force. Right. After a short time, Agent Caraway's relationship with the local police chief 
helped identify North Korean agents operating in the area who were collecting and reporting on the location of South Korean forces. Asian Caraway used some specialized uh, equipment, uh, some direction finding equipment to help triangulate the location of these North Korean operatives. Uh And with the assistance of the South Korean police performed a raid on the North Korean agent safe house. Wow. Asian Caraway was then involved in a two hour gun battle, uh, but eventually captured the North Korean agents, their radio equipment, and other valuable intelligence. And for his actions, he was awarded the Bronze Star and the Republic of Korea Air Force Merit Badge. So just an incredible story uh, and the work accomplished uh, during conflict uh, by our OSI airmen. Uh, Yeah, no doubt about that, Colonel. Uh, Another uh, person in uh, OSI's uh, storied past that uh, the the agents of today can certainly look back on with with pride. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Sir, let's, uh, if we can, uh, shift gears a little bit, if we may, and uh, pull out your crystal ball. And uh, how would you characterize the future of Region 6 as as you see it today? Yeah, we are such uh, we are we are so fortunate to be part of what's identified as the Department of Defense's priority theater of operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout this uh, this theater and, and locations around the globe, we face really a growing malign influence in the prospect of continuous competition that challenges a free and open Indo-Pacific as well as threat of humanitarian and other crises due to natural disasters or dispute between nations, to include conflict linked to a response by certain actions North Korea or China may take that draws condemnation by the international community. Right. So our future includes being postured for these situations by providing a ready, credible, and capable force that covers the full spectrum of the OSI mission from criminal investigations, fraud investigations, counterterrorism, counterintelligence, counterintelligence support to force protection. Right. And OSI has proven time and time again that our people are up to that challenge. Right, no doubt about that. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, I can I can just tell in the way you're presenting that, Colonel, that uh, you're very proud of uh, being their commander uh, these days, and uh, uh, they've got a bright future ahead of them, uh, no doubt about that. Sir, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you'd like to add about uh, being part of OSI's 75th anniversary observance this year? I think this has been um, this has been uh, such an incredible opportunity for us to reflect on where we come from uh, because it helps us prepare for the future mm-hmm. that the work accomplished uh, in many times uh, at great sacrifice to family at great sacrifice to uh, to personal freedoms uh, uh, has shown that uh, that the lessons that we can learn and draw from their experiences can help inform our future uh, and OSI's ability to address the uh, many challenges that our nation and uh, and our region, but more broadly the world faces. Uh, and uh, I think this is just a very, a very appreciative way of the work that you have been doing 
to help bring some of these nuggets uh, really of, of, of great examples where we've had uh, OSI airmen uh, and OSI agents do some incredible things, bring that back to light so we can reflect on it, consider it uh, as part of uh, what we need to do to prepare for the future, uh, and then and then set set conditions appropriately. So thanks for doing that. Oh, you're very welcome, sir, and uh, very very uh, well said about the the organization. And uh, obviously, uh, such a, a story legacy that OSI has, uh, it's a story that uh, uh, really needs to be told. Uh, so the uh, folks uh, not uh, working within OSI can uh, certainly uh, appreciate uh, the quality of the work and the quality of the people that uh, uh, populate uh, this command. Our guest has been Colonel Benjamin Hatch, the commander of OSI's 6th Field Investigations Region. Colonel, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. Always great to, to chat with you. You got it, Wayne. Uh, very, very glad to have offered, uh, been offered this, uh, this invitation and I'm glad to, to help tell our OSI Airmen story. You bet. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.